Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM. This is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Alves, and kicking things off for us tonight, Got Street Park with Fuego from their forthcoming record, On the Inside. That's out next month, and boy, it's hype. I've heard the whole thing. Uh, Fuego is my favorite track, but uh, front to back, great record. Keep listening to this show. We'll be playing more as things get closer to the release date. Speaking of release dates, next week is Alexis Norman's new album, Mementos, and then she comes to town on the 21st to play the West End Cultural Center. If you want to go, we're going to be giving away tickets, so stay tuned here on UMFM. Uh, But before that, you can hear her talk about the record and about the upcoming show. Uh, That's coming up after another francophone artist, Alacaire Ensemble, with Alacaire Fontaine from Les Paternels. This is a new uh, Quebecois rap group that I uh, was digging, so I uh, figured it was a perfect lead into Alexis. And then a little later in the show, Mitch Town, jazz organist, talking about his trio SRT that we've played some stuff from and their new album, Vanguards of Groove. We'll get into that a little later, though. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. <laughs> Face. 
been shot. Come just test the drink, pleasure ain't too shot. I burn up on the job. Cause I did this up, Will Smith slaps. On the main over, get a foot they clack, rouge the tackle tag. Shack for con connect. Fur come and come at Kiss on gaz, on est trop pas sec. On a beaucoup plus de mots que la gazette. Les bons produits prêts, on met la table, on se fait ce qu'il en déguise On a trouvé des mines pas moins qu'au début Ça aurait pu commander n'importe qui Toujours été aux acquis, quoi que jamais bloqué C'est un plan qui est beau, qui est laqué hey, Pour le repas, faut une assiette Pour les cibles, une balle, une flèche Frais possible, c'était pas facile Demande pause, il me faudra un signe Le chemin des autres, j'ai l'air de hérisson, c'est à tes risques qui pèrent, juste essayer de me toucher les pôles. Couper les cordes dans les vies, dans les montées, c'est doubler les portes en espérant des dons, puis ouais, pousser les autres en attendant de se montrer, puis couler son bord en étant dans la compie. Content de la tempête, ça donne le temps de respirer, les sangs sont dans ma tête, je peux pas résister, nos propres mensonges de l'impression d'exister. C'est quoi tu veux dire, t'es en train de le parce que j'ai décidé de lâcher prise Juste laisser mes idées dans la brise Piquer des mes bonheurs dans la braise Péter puis répéter les courts-métrages de douleur dans ma fraise Revoir la chaise pour me poser juste deux secondes Refuser la vie sur terre parce que je veux le monde Tu penses que tu l'as vu ce paradis Juste parce que t'es assis confortablement le cul dans les catacombes Le son d'une balle à blanc peut déclencher toute une avalanche Mais ça n'en ta balance Coming to the West End Cultural Center Thursday, September 21st, playing alongside Burnstick, Alexis Norman, who uh, we've had on the on the show in the past. I was looking it up because you were in Rosie and the Riveters seven years yeah. ago when you played Festival. We had you in for a oh. live session. So welcome back oh, to the cool. show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you've played many shows since then, so uh, no no issue if you can't remember appearing on, on <laughs> UFM. Um, so first of all, I mean, going solo, after having been in a group like Rose and the Riveters, was that like always something that you were kind of aiming towards or how did that kind of come about? Well, it's actually something I did before I joined the Riveters. I had a solo project in French and I, I was touring all across Canada before the, I, I actually ended up deciding to quit my solo thing to make Rosie and the Riveters a full-time endeavor. Mm. And at the time, this was back in 2016 or so, I was about to release another record and I had some tour dates planned and I honored those, but knowing that those would be my, I thought they were going to be my last ones ever. I didn't think I'd ever perform as a solo artist again. Mm. Um, and then during the pandemic, the Rosie and the Riveters parted ways and my schedule was completely cleared and 
when I picked up my guitar again for the first time, I started writing songs in French and uh, and I started enjoying it. I, I also gave myself permission to write in English, which is something I didn't do before in my solo career. I sort of separated my linguistic identities in different projects. And, um, and so I, I guess during the pandemic, I just gave myself the opportunity to find my own voice and it navigates between English and French now. And, um, and so that's what my new record kind of explores, Mementos. It's, um, it explores both languages, but explores also my own kind of life as a solo artist, I guess. <laughs> the the blend between the English and French, and that that's something you've explored as well with a NFB project. Yeah, that's right. Um, I directed um, and wrote a documentary for the National Film Board. It's called French Enough. Uh, the film talks about, it, it shows how my family... Um, transfers the francophone language and identity in an intergenerational way in Saskatchewan, which uh, wasn't easy for us because um, my mom's side of the family is English speaking and my dad's side of the family is French speaking, but quite assimilated. My dad speaks French, but, you know, he's very assimilated. So the language you spoke at home with my parents and my siblings was was English. Um, and thanks to the francophone school board, uh, we we learned our French and we were able to kind of learn, get it back. Um, and now that I have it, there's a new generation in the family. My sister, for example, has kids and, and they speak French. They, she wanted to raise her children in French, um, despite all this English around and despite, and despite also uh, being um, married to an Anglophone partner who's very supportive of it as well. Uh, so we talk about it. The film kind of talks about how we do it and also some of the weird tension points that come up as a Francophone with this sort of profile where, you know, like I grew up thinking I wasn't completely Francophone or not Francophone enough because of all this English in my life. And I think that's why I kind of split my musical projects for so long. I was trying to prove that I, I am Francophone and look what I can do just in French or look what I can do with Rose and the Riveters just in English. And I kind of split myself um, in a, that way in my career. Um, but this new record is sort of an extension of this exploration of identity and, uh, and language that I had started with the film and now has spilled over in, into a record. When I was done kind of working on the film, I realized I had more to say and I had I wanted to explore this sort of bilingualism um, as a whole, as opposed to being two parts. And that's where Mementos comes into the picture of my new record. So some of the songs you wrote then on Mementos, like did they come out of the experience of making that film and like some of the, the topics that you addressed? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Or some of them were kind of like they were songs I had started before because the, the film and the, the songwriting were sort of happening at the same time. Um, it started with music and then it became film and then it ended with music in my creative mm. process. Um, you know, like, but I did write a song like uh, there's a song called Tous les Matins, it means every morning. Um, and that was a song I had written for uh, the credit roll of the film. And it was one that kind of, it paints a picture of how our family functions. We have a, a small, a very small cabin an hour outside of Saskatoon and and how it flows between both languages. And I wanted that song to celebrate how, how we do it and that it's not all in French, but it's way more French than it used to be. And that's something to celebrate. Um, and I just... It, because of all the family ties and and the way the the song sounded, it sounded also very appropriate to be on the record too. So there certainly was um, influence between both creative projects and and um, but also both creative projects allowed me to really understand what 
what it means to be bilingual for me and um and especially the identity piece because there was so much shame around the fact that my mom was anglophone or i just just the feeling of of being judged or not just and it wasn't just a feeling people actually believed that my family wasn't francophone enough and they and they told us that so it's kind of like unpacking those weird tension points and understanding where they come from and getting rid of them <laughs> in order to celebrate you know the fact that bilingualism is a wonderful thing and i feel uh, like i benefit from it as an artist and as a human and a person and um i'm i'm grateful for the past that i've had in this life um despite these weird tension points because they have made me a sensitive person and um someone who can i guess turn them into into songs which is what this record is as, as well do you find that you write differently in either language like do you find that the songs you write in english are are dramatically different than the songs you write in French? I'm not sure. Um, for a while there, I would have said yes. I think also because the style, like, you know, between Rosie and the Riveters and my solo stuff, it was so different. Mm -hmm. But co-writing songs in a band will be different, you know, because there's just so many more voices in the room that are contributing ideas. And um, I, I, don't I don't really know. I can't tell, especially with this new record, because I wanted it to be as close to myself as possible. And even within a song, like before I would have these rules where I'm like, okay, you either write a song all in French or all in English, but that's not how my life is. And I went into this writing project wanting it to be the most authentic uh, representation or like expression of myself possible. And I had to look at my life and be like, actually, Alexis, you, you navigate very fluidly between both. It makes sense for a song to go from English to French. Get, it makes sense like that that seems like a natural extension of, of my artistic voice and of, of, of my person um so I, I have a hard time I think because I, I had that as a as an intention going into the writing of this album now I have a hard time listening to the songs in English and French and being like oh yeah these are very different <laughs> these sound very different to me they all kind of sound like me now do do I does writing in either language create any problems in terms of just like lyrical flow or like like do you find one easier than the other or did you kind of slip back and forth because of the fact that like in your like average speaking you know you would you would maybe slip in it's funny because I, I listen to some french hip-hop and they like will throw in like english slang very readily because yeah. it's just what they use is, exactly, it, is it more yeah. like that for you too um kind of uh to be honest, I've always had difficulty writing lyrics, mm. and I think it comes from the insecurity I had around language in general. I always felt like I was never good enough, never good at grammar, and that even spilled over into the way I perceived my writing in English. So I had some work to do on myself just to just to like understand why why do I feel this pressure and is it is it true or is it just made up and am I am I being my own greatest barrier <laughs> in the writing process? And once I kind of remove that from the equation and I just let myself say things the way I say them, um, it came out a lot more a lot more easily. This record was way easier to write eventually once I got over that to write the lyrics, both in French and in English. And that to me was really liberating. And, and it to me it signaled like, oh, I think I'm getting closer to to this authentic voice that I've that I've been trying to find within my within my writing. Um, I did enjoy the challenge, though. I sometimes intentionally wrote music that, like, there's a song called Samo, and it's, it means without words. 
And it's a song inspired by meeting my nieces for the first time. It was the first babies, the first, like my first, the first new generation. And it was just like so beautiful to see my sister become a mother. And uh, they were twins, identical twins. So there's just like so much joy. And this is the sister who wanted to raise her children in French. And that's the moment when I realized when I met them that I actually didn't know how to talk to a baby in French. I had never seen it. Mm. So I was literally without words, but also without words in awe. And in that song, I found it, I, I wanted to on purpose explore English and French, and I wanted to rhyme, rhyme them together. And I found that an interesting exercise. So in the song, are you talking to the babies? Um, I'm talking, I think I'm just sort of uh, speaking to myself out loud. Mm. Um, it's like an observation. Um, I, I guess I'm talking to them. And also at, at the end of the song, I'm, I kind of commit to gifting them the gift, like the language that we have and, um, and that it's never that far away. Like even through a few couple generations of assimilation, we're really, I'm, we're really privileged as Francophone and French speakers to have systems and edu like a, an education system and community resources to help, um, to help learn what was lost and, and get that back. And I guess that song to me is like, uh, it's, it's, exposing this this reality that I didn't know how to talk to babies in French but that I learned and that I will continue to um, commit to that for them and for and for me for us you know right so the album when does it come out it comes out on September 15th so right before out. you you come to town so are you going to just play the album or are you playing like some of your older stuff or is is this just like the album front to back what's the the live show going to be the live show will be a mix of the new songs from the record, a few from the other records I recorded, and there's one little uh, nod to Rosie and the Riveters as well. Um, it's a double bill with Burnstick, a duo, a Juno-nominated duo from the Winnipeg area. Um, and I, like, I'm super pumped because it's it's a prairie tour, and I feel like um, all the artists on the bill, myself and, and Burnstick, we, we have such uh, different things to say about the prairies. And so I think it'll be a beautiful... A beautiful night of music folk music and um i'm really i'm really looking forward to it <laughs> speaking of the prairies francescoise th this is a term that i found while i was researching you and about the <laughs> nfe thing but it, it just basically means like if you're like francophone from saskatchewan yeah okay. exactly yeah that was that, that was what i learned well uh reading up on on things so certainly there's lots <laughs> going on on the prairies i have no clue about uh before i let you go alexis i want to get you to pick a track from from the record that we can play for listeners if you have a reason why you're picking that or an anecdote about it i'd love to hear that um i i'll pick roots and, and wings um to me this record is kind of like a shoebox full of memories that i scatter on the kitchen table and i'm looking through and roots and wings to me is like the shoebox within the shoebox <laughs> hmm. there's um you know there's there are childhood memories and ch memories from um from when I was a teenager, I talk about my parents. I talk, it, it's kind of like a tribute to the people and places that made me the person I am today. And to me, it's sort of like that turning point in, in the whole writing process of the album of like, okay, there's these weird tension points that I had to work through in order to find myself, but this is beautiful. And I'm really looking forward to moving into the future, um, you know, knowing, knowing, having a better understanding of who I am. Um, so Roots and Wings is, is sort of a nod, a nod to that. And also it's a pretty, it's a fun song to play. <laughs> right on. Well, we'll give that one a listen. Uh, as we said, September 21st at the West End Cultural Center alongside Burnstick. Alexis, thanks very much for taking some time and safe travels. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. I remember as 
a child I would jump for many hours On inner tubes from tractor tires Floating on a lake I was never very wild And always willing to push hard Get that from my father Who won't settle for a grave I remember as a teen I left home in the Vanguards of Groove, SRT, 
one of the initials, Mitch Town, the T in SRT, joins me on the program to talk. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing all right, and I'm excited to talk to you about this record because I'm I'm a big fan of organ trios and I'm a big fan of contemporary organ trios. So well, we got uh, a lot to talk about. Yeah, I know that there's a a really lengthy backstory to kind of how this group came about. Yeah. Uh, heard you on one podcast where I think it was like a 20 minute explanation <laughs> i can give you the short version and i was gonna like. say for for the purposes of this show we we need a tighter answer but like i do want to hear the story i mean particularly like how you hooked up with jr robinson and and kind of the the path that led to this record well you know i had met jr jr tours a lot with with the great david foster and uh i met jr i'm from omaha uh i'm not on the west coast like jr and andrew are I'm in the middle of the country and Jr. had come to town to Omaha with David Foster. Uh, and, uh, I knew who Jr. was, you know, because David Foster always tours with really great, great, uh, musicians. Nathan East was playing bass on this show. So as a musician, I was thrilled to, to get to see who the backing band was, you know? And so at the end of the show, um, I was waiting for a friend of mine and I noticed that Jr. was over there taking the cymbals down. I walked over to him and said hey you know i'm a big fan i love your work i mean he's literally one of the most legendary drummers of all time and he was really nice you know because you never know when you approach people you know i told him i was a a musician and we're both from iowa so i think that helped because i led with like hey i'm from iowa i know you're from creston and I, and jr loves loves the iowa connection stuff you know so i think we hit it off that that way and uh just being a really nice guy, he gave me his business card. Now, for whatever reason, would a guy in Omaha, an organ player in Omaha, have to call one of the most recorded drummers of all time? You know, he was just being a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, but then, uh, but the, but then the the uh, the pandemic rolled around, and I was trying to come up with you know something in my life to look forward to, as most of us were, you know, midway through 2020, and. Um, I watched the Quincy Jones documentary on Netflix and JR's in it. And I was like, Hey, cool. You know, I've got this guy's business card. I was using it as a bookmark, you know? So every time I'd read a book, it's like, Hey, I got JR Robinson's business card. So I see the Quincy documentary and JR's in it. I'm like, Oh, cool. A couple weeks later, there's a David Foster documentary on Netflix and I watch it. JR's in that too. And something just started to click in my head. I'm like, you know, what if I put together, what if I put together a show that was a tribute to J.R. Robinson and featuring J.R. Robinson, you know, and bring him in and put together a really good band. Uh, Omaha's got some fantastic musicians. And I just kind of hatched this idea of, you know, maybe that maybe that kind of thing would draw someone like him to come to town. We could do a show and play all the Michael Jackson and the Whitney Houston and the Lionel Richie and Steve Winwood and everything that he's made, you know, Rufus and Shaka Khan you know, play a bunch of tunes that he made famous and feature him, kind of a tribute to him. So I had his information, you know, he'd given me his business card. So I pitched him the idea and he liked it. And uh, so we had to wait, of course, for, you know, the pandemic to kind of lighten up and for vaccines and all that business. Uh, so by the end of 2021, we put on that show here in Omaha, sold out the show, you know, uh, people loved it. And uh, JR and I got to be pretty close then. And so uh, in the, he kind of wanted to maybe take that band on the road, but that was a six-piece band, and that's kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I just happened to say, hey, do you ever think about doing an organ trio record? 
And he's like, yeah. I said, well, you know, here we go. I, I'm, I'm ready. And uh, so then we had to set about picking a third. And JR had uh, recently done um, uh, a session with Andrew Sinewick, who is the pretty much top call L.A. session guitar player now. And uh, what I always tell people about that is, you know, this is this isn't the 70s and 80s where there were a million sessions, you know, and there was enough work to go around for a ton of cats to be the guys. This is 2023 where everybody does stuff on their own and they use, you know, programming and everything. So to be a top call guide now, you really got to be at the top of the game. And that's Andrew. Mm-hmm. I mean, Andrew's got a resume that's incredible. He's played on so many things with so many people. And he and JR had just done uh, a remake of Staying Alive for the Bullet Train soundtrack, the Brad Pitt movie. And he's like, I just did this session with this great uh, guitar player. I think he's the right guy. He brings that just the right energy. He's so versatile. He can do anything. And that's how, so he approached Andrew and Andrew was like, I'd love to do it. So the three of us started to write over Zoom for a couple months and just exchange ideas. And we all wrote stuff. Then we got together in the studio out in L.A. in July of 2020. What is this? 22, 22. This is 23 now. Yeah. So we uh, last July, we uh, did it the old fashioned way. And the three of us got into the studio and cut the record in two days. Was that important to do it live together because of like kind of the roots of like the old organ trios yeah. being like in the same room? Yeah. Yeah, well, and you know, it's it's funny. Andrew's very new school, so he does a lot of stuff remotely. But I've heard him say that he prefers to go and play with people. Like when he goes to do a session, he likes to sit with the producer, you know, because you kind of get in your own head when you're by yourself. You know, I will find myself, if I'm recording tracks at home on my organ, I'll sit and play the same stuff for, you know, four hours over and over getting just the right take when actually I probably did it, you know, 18 takes ago. Mm-hmm. So when you're with people, you just have to make it in the moment. And this kind of music, the stuff that we're doing, the stuff we did for this album is very in the moment. It's very, I think, immediate. And that's what we got out of the three of us being in the studio. You know, the organs here and JR's in the room and, and Andrew's over there, but we have a sight line, you know, I can see Andrew, I can see JR. And it's counted off and go, you know, so there's very little overdubbing on this record. Maybe there's a couple of flubs that got fixed, but it's what you're hearing is pretty much how we played. Yeah, I have to imagine like looking across at each other and there's nodding like, yeah, we're on the right path. This is this is working is kind of like the, the yeah. biggest thing for like feeling a session. Because that's what you do when you play live. You know, yeah. and that's what we wanted was was that live sound. I think you sort of miss that live feeling when you're layering yourself. And I understand that that's some that's the way, you know, this is the 21st century. Things are done different and you can do stuff that way. But, man, there's something about getting together and actually play just like you do when you go on tour. Yeah, that you 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 don't have to be in the same room technologically, but maybe, right. you know, artistically, it, it works to be in the same room. Artistically and emotionally and personally. You know, the three of us vibe well together. We have a, we, you know, we have a really great time hanging out. And I think that that comes through in the playing. There's, there's a lot of fun that happens. I mean, music is fun. That's one thing that I learned about myself from the pandemic is I'm not a solo artist. I'm not one of those people that sits down and writes music themselves and goes perform themselves. I spend all my time practicing and getting ready to play with people. 
I love the energy that happens between musicians when we get on stage. And that's really what I miss the most during the pandemic. You know, I wasn't inspired to shed every day and practice every day because I was depressed. You know, I was depressed at not being able to. I had nothing, no possibility of going to play with anybody. So when the opportunity to actually get together and play happens, that's what I'm about. So I, that's why I love getting together with musicians and actually playing. So if you're about that in terms of the the live interaction with another artist, how do you write going into you that? Think like, about like, it. Okay, that's a great question. That's a great question. There's so there's there's a I I tend to write in scenarios. So there's a tune on our record that I wrote called Alta Vista, and I set out to write a tune that had that kind of I was writing specifically with Jr. in mind. You know, I wanted that kind of you know laid back funky thing that the kind of thing that he'd have played on a Quincy Jones record, you know, on the dude mm. or something like that, you know? So I specifically wrote, and I didn't program anything to sound like that. I just kind of had it in mind and I left it up to him. I was like, this has this kind of, that's exactly what I said. That kind of thing you might have played with Quincy, that kind of thing. And I, and I played the tune for him and he came up with just, that's the thing, you know, this is that J.R. Robinson thing. You know, it's just it's so in the pocket. It's so funky, but yet restrained, you know. So I tend to write thinking of, you know, here's the type the type of tune that I want to write. Here's and sometimes I'm writing for particular players, like in that case, you know, there's another tune that I wrote on on the record. That's a total tribute to um, one of my f biggest influences is the organ player from Tower of Power, Chester Thompson, uh, that that. Uh, his playing is a huge foundational part of what I do, especially when it comes to the R&B soul kind of organ playing. And uh, so I wrote a tune called uh, Mr. CT, you know, Chester Thompson. And so all I had to say was, it's that Tower of Power groove. And Jay, I was like, got it. You know, and then Andrew knows exactly the kind of that that guitar sound. You know, it's like so sometimes I write for certain people in certain scenarios and then once in a while tunes just kind of come out of nowhere and they don't and and they get formed later you know but in those cases i had specific things in mind right and with with vibes that you knew those two could capture or at the very least jr Absolutely. could based on you know his copious oh, demonstration andrew, that he can handle it exactly and andrew being a session guy andrew is one of the most versatile guitar players i've ever heard in my life if you go track by track of our record I mean, here's a tune that's a total, you know, a funk tune. Here's a tune that's got, you know, that's a total shredder. Here's a tune that's got a meters vibe. And he pulls it out not only just in the ballpark, it's authentic. He's authentically playing all of those styles. I was just, my mind was kind of blown by what he's able to do. If you listen to Tal Shia, the lead track off the record, I mean, that's a shredder. I mean, he's doing all sorts of ridiculous Steve Vai kind of things, you know. I mean, you know, a guy shouldn't be able to play like that and then be able to play straight ahead be bebop too. You know, he shouldn't be able to do all those things that well. That, that tells Shia raises the question, like in terms of the set list, like arranging the record the way you guys did, starting with that, it's not necessarily indicative of everything that's going to come afterwards. Right. What? Why did you put that first? Because it's so, I think it's so left field. It's sort of like a, I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of pompous to say, but it's sort of like a declaration. It's like this is different, you know. This is a this is here. We're 
we're going to give you a variety of stuff here and we're going to lead off with just the craziest, loudest, you know, thrash thing we have. You know, one of the things that I love about the about 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 this album is that, you know, everybody knows J.R. Robinson from from the hits. Right. You know, Michael and Whitney and all those things. And, on, you know, what pays the bills for a guy like J.R. is that he's just laying it down. Right. You know, rock with you is just, you know, there's nothing crazy. It's just it's so it's all pocket. Right. Well, J.R. has a ton of chops that he doesn't usually get to use. So on a tune like Tal Shia, he's playing in ways that not many people have ever heard him play. And so I love it when we've gone out on a tour and, you know, the, the club is full of drummers who come out to hear JR and they hear him playing stuff he's ne that they've never heard him play and they're just like, you know, blown away by it. So this is a real fun opportunity to have a guy, to let a guy like JR stretch you know, and for someone like Andrew to pull out all the different bags, you know. So I think that's why we led with that, just because it was one of the first tunes that we worked on in Zoom. And it was so aggressive and energy filled that we're just like, let's just plow forward with that. A little bit of a throat clearer, kind of getting everyone's yeah, attention exactly. on the mic. Exactly. Well done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then uh, writing coll collectively and collaboratively on, on Zoom, like, had you done any of that before Vanguard's Agreed? Like during the like, you know, year, year and a half of earlier COVID? Or was this the experience that you you went through with Zoom and, and what was that like? I think we did it. We, we did it with Zoom mostly because they're both in L.A. and I'm here, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it was just for convenience sake, you know, we and I, we didn't get together and record stuff over that. We just sent out tunes and, you know, Andrew would send a demo. One of his great tunes on there is Long Road and it's so beautiful. And he sent out this demo and the demo, you know, it's like, that's exactly how we're going to do it. It's just, you know, we, we all laid in our own stuff, you know, but really it was just, you know, like JR and I wrote a couple over, uh, over zoom uh, together. He wanted uh, the tune going uptown. He wanted to have that kind of, that, that that kind of old what's the the in crowd groove what he wanted was that old Ramsey Lewis thing you know so he said let's write something like that so he and I kind of wrote it over Zoom but the other stuff we just sent charts out to each other and uh, with general ideas and uh, that's that that's how we went about doing that just just exchanging ideas oh so like Jr had a two like Tal Shai started out as a Jr tune that he'd written and he'd sequenced a bunch of stuff. You know, he'd done it all on computer. So it had bass parts and a bunch of guitar parts, but he didn't really have a melody for it. He just had chords. So Andrew wrote a melody to it. So that main theme, that's Andrew's contribution. Mm -hmm. So that's a J.R. Andrew tune. Um, you know, uh, so that's, you know, that's how that's some of that. There were seeds and then someone else added their thing to it. You know, and then some tunes are just written by one of us. Right. Now, I I heard on that podcast about a little bit about your story and how you decided you're going to be a Hammond guy. Yeah. That essentially like you can you can be a keyboardist who dabbles in the organ yeah. or you can be an organist who, you know, does these other things yeah, on the side. Right. And you made a conscious yeah. decision to go Hammond. I'm yeah. wondering if you can kind of talk a little bit about like why why that why that path rather than you know, you know like like flourishes of hammond i i've always loved hammond organ 
and I came up at a time when uh, the, the, the organ was really not in vogue when I was growing up. You know, you had to listen to 70s and 60s rock and funk and that kind of stuff to hear it. But, you know, coming up in the 80s and early 90s, you know, it was all synthesizers. It was all keyboards. And I love those things. I love synthesizers. I love keyboards. But then I really got into jazz, playing piano. You know, I was I was a piano player. That's that's you know what I did. I sort of left keyboards aside, but I always always loved that Hammond organ sound. The first time I heard Tower of Power, I was a freshman in high school, and I was like, "What is that? That what is that sound?" You know, I had no idea what Hammond organ was. And bear bear in mind, this is pre-internet days. You know, if you didn't have uh, somebody who who if you didn't grow up in a church. Or have somebody to tell you about the Hamlet organ, you couldn't figure it out. You can't even turn it on if you don't know how. You don't just flip a switch. You, you, there's a combination of things to even make it turn on. So the Hamlet organ was sort of a dark art, you know. Uh, but then around the mid 90s, Joey DeFrancesco became popular and really, you know, I think he single handedly brought the organ back. You know, there were still people doing it, but I mean, he made the organ. It's like, cool again you know and all of a sudden people started wanting to learn to play organ so i'm one of those who came up in that time of you know so when i heard what he was doing and i'd always loved the organ i was like you know i really want to i really want to kind of go down that path and so for a long time i was trying to do both i don't think there's a lot of people that really do both well mm. uh i always say that you can kind of always hear when a piano player is trying to play the organ you know, you, you, you can hear how they how they approach it is different. And I I decided that that I didn't have enough time in my life to really work on both. So I like like you said, you, you're should be say I had to make a choice. And there was something about the organ. And I, I, I heard a good quote recently that I that I kind of latched on to that I feel sort of fits my my thinking at the time was that I heard someone say, don't try to be the best at something. Be different. And I think choosing the Hammond organ kind of lends a little bit of difference to what I do. You know, mm -hmm. because there are there are thousands of great piano players. There's hundreds in every city. You know, you can't go to New York and turn around without running into a killer piano player whom you've never heard of. And they sit down and you're like, oh, my God. But there's just not as many people that specialize in the organ. You know, and I really decided that that was a sound that I thought I had a voice on as opposed to piano, you know, and I really that's when I decided that's what I want to do. And, you know, when you play the organ, if you're going to play it, you know, correctly, you got to figure out the pedals. You have to play left hand bass. You have to do kind of all that stuff. If you're going to really play jazz organ. It's a commitment to, you know, a lot of stuff that is you know, that maybe doesn't come second nature when you're just a piano player. So that's what I decided to do because I love the sound so much. I think it's so, it's so soulful. It's so, it just, it's where my head is. That idea of being different rather than exceptional, the, it makes me think like you're kind of like the lefty submarine pitcher of, of baseball or something that like, you well, know, you know, there's not yeah, a lot yeah. of them, but they, they're, they seem to have a career because they're effective and different. Yeah. And I think, and people, people, love the organ you know and i think when you play it right when you hear it people are like oh man i love that you know and maybe it reminds them of church or maybe it reminds them of jimmy smith record or maybe it reminds them of you know 
of uh, Emerson, Lincoln Palmer and yes, or whatever, you know, cause I was super into those guys too, mm. you know, at the same, you know, well, when I was in high school, I discovered tower of power and, and Emerson, Lincoln Palmer at the same time. And my brain was just, you know, cause those are two totally different things, but the big thread through those both is the Hammond organ. Yeah. So I always loved that sound. And uh, you know, there's something really fun about being, directly connected to the drummer as the bass player it's like there's no there's nothing between jr and me it's 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 right here you know it's right between us i gotta lock in with him and i just i love it it's so much fun so the the elp and tower of power records kind of like watered the field for you to eventually like flower into this like decision around the hammond yeah, and I'll tell you another thing. Someone that I that I only realized in the last few years gets a lot more credit in my brain than I had been previously giving him was Paul Schaefer. Oh, because I grew up I grew up watching Letterman, and you know, Paul played the organ every single night. They're playing pop tunes, and he's playing the head on the organ, and I just loved that sound, you know. And so I got to give Paul some credit just for having somewhere to hear the organ every single night. Right. If you were watching Letterman every single night, like I was at that time, I heard a Hammond organ and Paul played it right. You know, Paul really brought that thing. And so that sound has always just been super hip to me. So the ELP thing, is that why the SRT? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's funny. No, no. I'll tell you why. The, you know, one of the reasons that it's SRT is, uh, you know, being that J.R. Robinson, uh, you'd say, is definitely the most well-known person in the trio, you know, I'd have been perfectly fine with it being the J.R. Robinson group. But J.R. was very specific about not wanting that. He wanted it to be a band. He didn't want it to be his project or go under his name. He wanted everybody to have an equal stake and have it to be a band. I thought that was really cool. And so, you know, we tossed around, it was mostly, we didn't really toss around band names. We mostly just kind of figured out what order to put our initials in. Mm. And uh, he, he'd kind of come up with SRT and it kind of fit, you know, it rolls off the tongue nicely. So yeah, he really, we really wanted it to be a real trio, not someone's project. And then the album title. That, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, and I think that that's reflected in the music because, you know, Andrew wrote some tunes. I did, JR did. It's a real collective. And then the album title, Vanguard's a Groove, was that something you guys agreed on or like did you wrestle yeah. over? No, no, we didn't wrestle. We ha- we'd, we'd been working with uh, with a really talented marketing guy for a while and he had kind of come up with that. He, you know, one thing that I think musicians, we concentrate on the music, right? And some of our, some of the places that we fall short is in the marketing. You know, for us, it's like, okay, the record's done. You know, we, here's our statement. But, you know, he was saying, you know, you got to tell a story. You got to, what are you guys? You know, and he kind of sort of came, you know, that Vanguard's a Groove idea was sort of our tagline. And we were just like, well, let's just call the album that, you know, it's like sort of like a declaration. Once again, the clearing the throats kind of thing. It's like the declaration. It's like, this is, you know, we're sticking to the old ways of doing stuff, you know, just laying it down in the studio and just being really, you know, really focusing on the groove. And there's all sorts of different grooves on this record. There's, you know, like I said, the Tower of Power thing, there's that Quincy thing, there's the shredding thing. There's a, but all of them are really, you know, solid groove tunes when you get right down to it. Well, speaking of getting down to it, before I let you go, Mitch, I want to get you to pick a track off the record that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it, love to hear that. 
Well, you know, we were talking about Tal Shia, and that's just, uh, it's such a, it's such a burning tune. Uh, it's so much fun. I get, uh, there's, uh, I've, I've got the question a few times after people who have heard that have said, well, okay, who's playing bass on it? I'm like, well, I, you know, because people don't realize that the organ is doing all of that stuff, you know? So when I'm doing that tune, it's like, I'm really thinking about, you know, what might Rocco Priester from Tower play or what might Nathan East play or, you know, anyone like that. It's like, you know, that tune's got a really good, solid, not what you'd expect out of an organ trio. And then if I was to pick another one, I think Long Road is a very beautiful ballad. It's it's one of Andrew's finest tunes. And that thing just sits there and sounds so nice. You know, there's a really nice mix of tunes on this album, I think. And I'm really excited about it. Right on. Well, uh, Mitch, thanks very much for taking some time to talk about the record. Congratulations on it. Really big fan of it. So I uh, appreciate getting the chance to talk to you about it. Appreciate you. Thanks. Thank you very much.
uma voz que mostra o caminho certo pra quem tá esperto. Que mostra o caminho certo pra quem tá esperto. Às vezes no meio da jogada tem uma cruzilhada de cara pra gente saber. Se vai, se corre, sempre fica, se pega, se pica, se paga pra ver. Quem não sabe o que é bom enquanto se perde na conta não consegue explicar. Back here on Thank God, it's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. You just heard Rio de Janeiro artist Roger with Existe Uma Voz from Kuriman. Brand new record, great vibes to it. Uh, I mean, it's it's still summer until September 21st, so uh, still capturing some of those summer vibes. Before that, SRT with Mitch Town's selections, Tal Shia and Long Road from Vanguards of Groove. Strongly encourage you to check that record out and to check out uh, Alexis Norman's show on September 21st at the West End Cultural Center. Uh, my thanks to both of them. Uh, coming up in the next set, T Nautilus, uh, former Winnipegger who now calls Toronto home. Uh, hoping to have him on the show next week to talk about the new EP in the limited time. 
For sure, I'm going to be talking to Alexa Dirks, a.k.a. Begonia, about her upcoming shows really celebrating the release of Powder Blue. Uh, before we get to Tina Alice, we've got a little more kind of in the samba vein. This is a Quebec artist, Florence K with Les Eaux de Mar. Then we're going to hear the title track from T. Nautilus. we got a Munia cover of New Order. We've got some new Robo Hands and Yusuf Days. And uh, we're going to close things off with a new Ace and Abbey single that just dropped this week. Keep it locked. After 8 Radio coming up next. We'll be back here next Friday on Thank God It's Free Range. Une pierre, un chemin qui chemine, un reste de racines, c'est un peu solitaire, c'est un éclat de verre, c'est la vie, le soleil, c'est la mort, le sommeil, c'est un piège entrouvert, un arbre millénaire, un œuf dans le poids, c'est un chien qui aboie, c'est un oiseau dans l'air, c'est un tronc qui pourrit, c'est la neige qui fond, le mystère profond, la promesse de vie, c'est le souffle du vent au sommet des collines, c'est une vieille ruine. Le vide, le néant C'est la pique qui jacasse C'est la verse qui verse Des torrents d'allégresse Ce sont les eaux de Mars C'est le pied qui avance à pas sûr, à pas lent C'est la main qui se tend C'est la pierre qu'on lance C'est un trou dans la terre Un chemin qui chemine Un reste de racine C'est un peu solitaire C'est un oiseau dans l'air Un oiseau qui se pend Le jardin qu'on arrose Une source d'eau claire Une écharpe, un clou C'est la fièvre qui monte, c'est un conte à bon compte, c'est un peu rien du tout. Un poisson, un geste, c'est comme du vif argent, c'est tout ce qu'on attend, c'est tout ce qui nous reste, c'est du bois, c'est un jour le bout du quai, un alcool trafiqué, le chemin le plus court, c'est le cri d'un hibou, un corps ensommeillé, la voiture rouillée, c'est la boue, c'est la boue, un pas, un pont. Qui c'est un chaland qui passe, c'est un bel horizon, c'est la saison des pluies, c'est la fonte des glaces, ce sont les eaux de mars, la promesse de vie.
Never fight so hard for losing battle. All this blood, sweat, and tears in these broken bones. Never fight so hard when the dead didn't have to. Through the flood and the war in this broken home. Are we living to forgive or are we giving up? Is it better, is it better, is it better than being alone? I'll be alone 